turn uh, to Jeremiah 31, the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. The title of our message today is The New Heart. Recently, uh, my wife and I uh, took my mom to the hospital for a planned surgery. They, the doctors had said that there was no more that they could do to fix her knee, to help relieve her pain, to make her more comfortable, and that she was going to need a brand new knee, a knee replacement. And I learned, I did not, I, did, I don't know exactly when this transpired, I think maybe it had something to do with COVID, but this is now an outpatient surgery. So um, we dropped her off, I dropped mom and her old knee and uh, my wife off at like six o'clock in the morning, and uh, when, I, when I came back to pick them up, uh, my mom had a brand new knee, just like that, uh, was bearing weight on it, all those crazy things. It amazes me, even though they've been doing it for years now, that doctors can put new parts in us, like even like significant parts. Uh, a knee seems to me a, a, an incredible miracle, but... There are, there are organs being transplanted. There, there are things in us that, that, are, that can be put within us to save our lives. Uh, we, can, we can, and again, it's been around for a lot of years, but it's still is stunning to me. Even a heart transplant, getting a new heart, literally a new blood pumping muscle to keep you alive. It's, 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 a, it's an amazing miracle that God has given to to our society and our culture in this day and age. And in this passage that we're going to read in Jeremiah 31, he's telling the people of Israel, listen, you all, you need the same thing. You need a transplant. You, you need a new heart. Of course, he's not speaking about a physical heart transplant, but he's speaking spiritually. You see, we looked at back when we first started this series at Jeremiah 17, and he says, listen, the, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The, the heart wasn't just, uh, didn't just have a few problems here and there. It, it, it wasn't uh, a, a car that needed an, a, a tune-up or an oil change. It needed to be completely replaced. And that's the promise, the hope that Jeremiah holds out in the midst of his prophecies of impending destruction and punishment for the sins of God's people. We said last week that there are four chapters here, Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 31, 32, 33, and 34, that, that he instills hope and reminds them of what's coming in the future, even though for the time, this heavy trial, this punishment for their sin has come upon them. And if you found your place in Jeremiah 31, I just want to read four verses out of here. We're going to look at Ezekiel a little bit too today and throw a few other scriptures on the screen. But he, he says here, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And, they will be, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one 
teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah here mentions a significant theological concept that is, lays the groundwork for the coming of Christ. He mentions here that I will make with Israel, in verse 31, a new covenant. The idea that there's going to be a new covenant means that there was an old one. Now, there were a number of covenants made by God in the Old Testament. The theme of covenant is an important one that we don't have time to fully explore. A covenant is simply a commitment. When we speak of biblical covenants, we're typically speaking of an arrangement or a commitment between God and man where there are promises and responsibilities. God made covenants with Noah after the, after the flood. He made covenant with Abraham, with David, with others. When the Bible speaks of the old covenant, though, it's referring to God's covenant with Moses at Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments as well as the other uh, laws that were to govern the life of Israel. Essentially, the terms of the agreement were this. God said, if you obey my commandments, you will be blessed. If not, things are going to go really, really badly for you. That's the general gist of the old covenant. It's captured in Exodus 19.5 when he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Do you hear the if there? If you obey, then you will be. The old covenant was contingent upon the obedience of God's people. However, this old covenant was never meant by God to be his final solution in bringing his people into right relationship with himself. In Galatians 3, Paul explains this. And he calls the law a, a guardian. The King James translates it uh, a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. He uses a Greek word there in Galatians 3 that uh, draws on the, the, the cultural concept at the time that wealthy families, they would have for their children these, these tutors or their guardians that would hang around and they would teach them uh, uh, life stuff. And it was especially for the boys and they would teach them good manners, they would teach them um, uh, proper cultural uh, mannerisms and ways in which to act in the culture. They would w escort them to and from school. Uh, they were sort of a, a little bit of a, a, a bodyguard uh, that, that, was, um, that was a teacher. <laughs> and, and they would follow these kids around and instruct them and teach them, keep them out of trouble. Uh, and and uh, I can imagine it, even just if, if they're anything like, you know, so many boys today, you'd probably find, try to find ways to ditch the guy and, and, and get a few moments of freedom without being uh, watched and looked after. Um, the, the law, Paul says, was like this. It, it took care of us. It governed God's people and their relationship with God. It showed them what God expects and how they were to approach him. It sort of shepherded them around a little bit. But here's the problem. The law never changed hearts. 
It, it could change behavior. It could make sure that we're doing the right things. But it never got to what our core problem is. The fact that we need a heart transplant. We need a new heart. It wasn't that the law was a bad thing. Most certainly wasn't. If you read Psalm 119, you'll hear David tell us over and over and over again of his delight for God's law. In fact, uh, Paul says in Romans 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 12, he says, The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. At the end of the day, the problem was not with the law, God's rules and ways. The problem was with us and our heart. And so what God tells Jeremiah is that one day he is going to establish a new covenant. This one was not going to depend on how well God's people did or did not do. It was not a performance-based. Nobody how many times over and over he says, I will, I will, I will. He was going to give new hearts. His law would be written on our hearts. And he would place within us his spirit. Hebrews chapter 8 tells us of this covenant. It says, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it's enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, we needed a new covenant because the first one didn't get the true task done. And Jesus Christ is that mediator. He goes on to say in chapter 9, verse 15, he says, Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. What the writer of Hebrews speaks of here is what is promised by Jeremiah. That one would come who would inaugurate, who would mediate a new covenant. The first covenant couldn't take care of the transgressions and the sins. But the one who has come, who brought forth a new covenant, is able to do more than just make a covenant. He's able to give a new heart through his shed blood. This brings us back to Jeremiah and one of the key provisions of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, God will write his law upon our hearts. Now, a new heart is not explicitly promised here. So where do we get that? Well, there are several other places in the prophets that make it even more explicit. Back in chapter 24, verse 7, God says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. Ezekiel makes it even clearer in Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20, when he says, I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes. 
keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And perhaps most clearly in this well-known passage, Ezekiel says in chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you hear the promise? The promise of the new covenant? He says, listen, your problem here is that you have a heart of stone. It is not able to respond to me. It is not able to show life, to, to, to connect deeply with me. Some of you went through, I won't take a show of hands, but some of you at that age range where you had a, uh, you had a pet rock back in the day. That little window of phase there. <laughs> Marlena being honest here. Appreciate that. <laughs> one, of the, one of the great benefits about a pet rock um, is that they don't do anything. Uh, really, in my opinion, an ideal pet. <laughs> Uh, you, you, don't have, uh, you don't have issues, it's not going to mess anywhere, it's not going to disobey you, it's not going to uh, nip at you, it's a great pet. <laughs> There's a reason it was a short-lived phase. There's a reason that the, the pet rock craze did not replace man's best friend or other living animals <laughs> as pets. You see, the Bible says our heart is the same way. We have a heart of stone that's unresponsive towards the, thing of God, the things of God. That's how we're born. So we could go back to Genesis 3, understand the reason why, because of sin coming into the world. And we're all born separated from God with this stony heart towards the things of God. That's why Romans 3 is just... Quoting the Psalms is just so blunt and straightforward when it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God on our own. Given if we're left to go to our own way, the Bible says that we will not pursue him. We will not love him. We will not adore him. That's why that rock, that heart of stone, Ezekiel says, needs to be replaced with a heart that's soft, a new heart. As we get into the New Testament, there are a lot of terms and, and, and a lot of scriptures that speak to this. It's referred to as regeneration. Titus 3.5 tells us that we are, we've been through the washing of regeneration if we're God's people. It's referred to as being born again. Ed and I were just talking about being born again a few moments before the service. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by the cover of night, this Pharisee who had questions, and he says, how can, I, how can I receive what you're talking about? And Jesus confounded him by saying, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, the wheels in his mind are spinning, and he, he, he thinks, I've got to go through the birthing canal one more time? What do you mean? Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm talking about in here. You need a new heart, Nicodemus. In Ephesians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 2, Paul uses the phrase being made alive. 
He says, but you are dead in your trespasses and sins in the ways you once walked. You were dead, a heart of stone. But you have been now made alive. You've been given spiritual life. You've been given a new heart. Paul also talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The Bible uses all kinds of terminology to circle this one absolutely central theological truth that in order to be a part of God's kingdom, we need new hearts. The old will not do. Some of us have had old things that we made do with for a long time. I, I still remember my dad one time as as we were getting some socks out of the cupboard, and we had like this, this big box. We had four boys, and it felt like we all wore the same size. So my mom's like, forget it. I'm not sorting these things. It's all just going in one box, and you guys can just get your own socks out of there. And I remember my dad seeing that some of them had some holes in it, and he said, well, we, we, need, we need new ones here. Let's, let's not keep just like recycling these ones that are just they're, just, they're beyond repair. Some of you have had clothes like that, or maybe had a car like that, that you it limped along as long as possible. God says, listen, you, you can't keep going on with this old heart. It, it does not, it's, it's not going to do what you need it to do. It's not going to be able to, you're not going to be acceptable to me with this old heart. I need to give you a heart of flesh, a new heart. What this means then is that everyone who's ever been born besides Jesus Christ is in need of a new heart. Everyone is in need of a new heart. There are those who will raise their hands and say, I'm basically a good person. I do these good deeds. I help people out. I give money here. I'm devoted to this cause. And for, for some, very devoted to religious causes. That would have been Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And even to him, Jesus said, you need to be born again. One writer says, to be sure, the heart of stone means the, the dead heart that was unfeeling and unresponsive to spiritual reality. The, the heart that you had before the new birth, it could respond with passion and desire to lots of things. But it was a stone toward the spiritual truth and beauty of Jesus Christ and to the glory of God and the path of holiness. This is what has to change if we are to see the kingdom of God. Everyone is born with this great need, in need of a new heart. How about you this morning? Have you been made alive in Christ? Have you experienced the new birth? Have you been given a new heart? I pray that that's true of each of us. But I also realize that just like Nicodemus, you can be very religious. Nicodemus would have attended some religious service or been practicing some religious uh, um, ritual each and every day. I mean, how many of us are that devoted? And yet, he had not been born again. You see, it's possible to be involved in church and it's possible to even serve in the church. It's possible to do good things and be a, a pretty nice person and not have a new heart. 
Jesus said, you must be born again. This, this new heart, this new heart, it's not something that you can, you can go talk to your doctor about. It's not something that you can order from Amazon. Uh, it's not something that can be downloaded with a purchase of something. It's, it's a supernatural work of God. It's a supernatural work of God. God is the only one who has a supply of these. They're not in stock anywhere else. Only God can give a new heart. The verses we read at the beginning of our worship time this morning, John 1, 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. One of the unique things about the new covenant is that God does not make any of the provisions of the covenant contingent upon the obedience of his people. He simply says, I will. Three times in these couple of verses we read, I will, I will, I will. There's much we can do to sort of get our act together. We can clean things up. You go to the Barnes & Noble self-help section and you can find all kinds of books on how to improve yourself. Maybe exercise and eat better. Manage your time more efficiently to get things done. Perhaps uh, become someone who manages their money more wisely. You can improve so much about your life and your well-being. One thing that there's that none of us, even the most disciplined of us, that we cannot do is change the heart. Only God can do that. When God saves us, He does more than forgives our sins. He makes us new. One theologian says this, he says, Thus God's wonderful plan for our lives is not limited to taking us to heaven, which by itself is a pretty amazing deal, but it also includes bringing heaven into us, remaking us into a holy people. He's not content merely to wash his, sin, his people of their past sins and to impute to them the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He also wills to work holiness within each and every one of us. And so it is the new covenant that brings the new heart. It is this promise from Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 that brings us into the new covenant blessings and relationship with Jesus Christ. Look back briefly at Jeremiah 31. Here's what the new covenant means. First of all, it means that we can know God. Verse 34 says, um, uh, and no longer shall, um, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. It's amazing. I, I still sometimes step back and think, I, I know God, and I am known by God. 
Do you ever just get jolted with that sometimes? I talk to people periodically who have met famous individuals, who may even know them. I, I, uh, I talked to a, a friend of mine this week who, uh, back when, when he was younger, uh, some of you might, if you're basketball fans, remember uh, Mark Price in the, in the 80s and 90s, and was a great three-point shooter, and he, he, I have no reason to think he's lying, but he said, I once uh, beat Mark Price in a three-point shooting contest. Uh, pick up three-point shooting contest. It was great. He said, I'll never do it again. I could never make that many three-pointers again. That was one of his claims to fame that nobody knew about. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I've met, uh, my, my cousin lives out in Scottsdale and plays pickup basketball with all these retired athletes. And, and uh, now he's married and has a couple of kids, and those days are kind of behind him. But he used to call me a few years ago, and he'd be like, you never guess who I played basketball with today. I was over at Kurt Warner's house playing basketball tonight. It was so cool. And, and I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know any professional athletes. I don't know any famous actors or actresses. But I do know this, that God knows me and that I know him. That's an amazing thing. You see, if, if your heart has been gripped and been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ, he says, you are known. You are known. We've talked about this recently. This is not new to you, but I don't know a single heart that doesn't need to be reminded that you specifically are known by God. Not just generally, like he doesn't just lump you in with all the believers in the world. He doesn't just lump you in with all the believers in Clare County or even all the believers here at Brown Corners or just the ones in your pew. But he knows you by name. He knows you. And you know him. And you can know him more and more. As you study his word, as you spend time with him, you can become familiar with the almighty God of the universe. This verb, to know, one theologian writes here, probably carries its most profound connotation. There's an intimate personal knowledge which arises between two persons who are committed wholly to one another in a relationship that touches mind, emotion, and will. We are known by God, and we can know God. Jeremiah also says it means that we're forgiven. The new covenant means that we're forgiven. Ezekiel speaks of this as well in chapter 36, verse 25. speaks of being cleansed, being renewed. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. I love that God uses that picture. I will remember it. No more. He chooses to forget. He, he has willingly made it a thing of the past. We all know that when we've been deeply hurt by someone and we make that choice to forgive, unless something supernatural happens or something neurological happens, we, we can't forget. And sometimes it's hard to leave that thing in the past. Even our own sin before God that we know is forgiven. Sometimes the enemy brings that up and tosses it in our face, right? And we think, oh, not that again. That was really, really bad. 
We can begin to turn it over and stew on it and begin to feel all that old guilt and shame rise up. God says here, part of the new covenant is that he hasn't just cleansed our hearts. He's chosen to remember our sin no more. It means, thirdly, that we have the power to obey. We can obey. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. To flesh this out even further, he says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. Now this was something that was was new and, and, and relatively unheard of. When you read through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain individuals at certain times. But the promise of an indwelling Holy Spirit who day in and day out lived within God's people, that was not realized until the New Covenant. God's Spirit was at work. We're not saying that. God's Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. But to actually, day in and day out, have the indwelling Spirit of God was not something that everybody experienced. This was a provision of the newness of the new covenant. Under the new covenant, God says, I will bring about such a change in your heart so that you have the want to and the will to do what is right. It doesn't mean we always obey. There's, there's still a battle in our flesh. You can call it what you want, uh, our sin nature, uh, our, our flesh. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about it being our flesh. I like how um, Sinclair Ferguson puts it. He says, uh, our two lifestyles are constantly bidding for allegiance. He says, one does so illegitimately. That doesn't mean its bid is not real or that it lacks the power of attraction and all of us could give testimony today that even though you may be saved, you may be born again, sin can still look awfully good sometimes. And its siren call sounds awfully alluring. Ferguson goes on to say the Christian life involves us in an ongoing lifelong conflict. The gospel, therefore, calls us to live under the reign of the Spirit in a world order dominated by the flesh. So we do so, and I like this way of putting it, we do so as former addicts to the flesh. Perhaps for many years we were addicted to the flesh. And in the process, we may experience many painful withdrawal symptoms. I like that picture. He, he says, listen, we were all addicted to sin. Some of us more so than others, but all of us, apart from Christ, that, that's the world we lived in. We were addicted and as God gives us a new heart, it doesn't just magically mean that we're perfect now. We're still experiencing withdrawals. That's why we can still get angry and lose it and say things we wish we wouldn't have said. That's why lust is still ever-present or, or greed or what have you, pride. It's, it's all still there wooing us, calling us. We've give, been given a new heart and we have the power to resist. We have the power to flee and to live for Christ. Finally, this new heart means that we have life. We have life. <laughs> Jesus once said, 
get people gathered around, and he often did. And he was teaching, and he was talking about shepherding. And he revealed himself as the good shepherd, the one who cares for his sheep. In the midst of that sermon, in John chapter 10, 10, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, God longs to put his spirit, to put a new heart in the hearts and lives of those who are without him. And this new heart is one that is full of life. And there is the potential for us to enjoy life to its fullness in Christ. The kind of life that he intended, the kind of life we were created to experience. And he knows that only in him can we find the richness of this life. It's not in the the greatest and latest thrill that you can sign up for. It's not in the newest thing your money can buy. It's not in that new move, new house, new position. Some people are constantly looking for newness. What Jesus says here is, I'm offering life. I'm offering new life, a new heart, and it's life at its fullest. It's a life that stops seeking for contentment and peace in other places. It's a life that stops looking to place its hope in that which is shifting sand. It's a life built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. You see... Jesus spoke about this life when he was in that upper room with his disciples. They'd gathered there to celebrate the Passover. I think the disciples had a clue that something ominous was on the horizon. It's clear they didn't fully understand what was going on. They sat down and enjoyed this Passover meal with their Savior. It says in Luke 22, verse 14, that when the hour came, he reclined at the table, the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is what? is the new covenant in my blood. You see, one of the things that we learn about covenants in the Bible is that uh, virtually all of them are instituted with blood being shed, with a sacrifice of some kind. Covenant cannot be inaugurated unless there is death. Jesus here was about to celebrate this meal that we're about to celebrate together. And he says, this is is more than just 
another Passover meal. You see this cup right here? This cup is the new covenant. And blood is about ready to be shed so that you can experience that which was prophesied by Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I'm about to begin offering new hearts. I'm about to begin transforming lives. And as Jesus as Jesus blessed the cup the bread which was teeming with symbology and pointing to the sacrifice that he was about to make he was saying here it is here's the offer of new hearts. I don't know where your heart is this morning. But maybe you've never experienced this. Maybe God is speaking to you and saying, won't you come? I long to give you a new heart. He, he repeats the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Here it is. Come to me in faith and trust. Believe that what I've done for you and sending Jesus and his work upon the cross took care of your sin and let me give you a new heart. He longs to do that. For those of us who have been born again, maybe a long time ago, God's reminding us this morning of the, the power that's within us. I didn't coordinate with Dan on the songs that we sang this morning. But we sang a song that says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives within us. That, that picture in the song we sang of the dry bones coming alive is in Ezekiel 37. It's right after this new covenant promise. And God says, this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to give you a vision of death coming to life. For those of us who have experienced a new birth, let's worship God this morning. And let us be reminded of the spirit that's within us. The provisions of the new covenant. Worship God for that and live from that new life. I want to pray for us and, and pray for the, the bread and the juice that here represents the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you've experienced that new birth, we invite you to come and worship and to thank God for what he has done. If you've not experienced the new birth today, we invite you to come and not partake of the table, but to come and talk with us and pray with us. We, we would love to know how we could um, just share with you and encourage you in this and ex explain this a little more fully. I want us to just take a few moments in prayer. If, 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 you've, never, if you've never had communion here, I should mention this, that um, as, as we pray and our worship team will come up and play, we'll, 
I just want to invite you to um, just come up out of your seats and, and grab a row here. Come up one of the aisles, uh, take some bread, take some of the juice. If, if you um, need some of the, the gluten-free uh, bread, that'll be here in the, in the center station. The, the empty plates are also uh, there um, for our benevolence offering. Uh, the first Sunday of every month, we take up an offering that's over and above our normal giving uh, just as a way to minister to the needs of people in our church family that, that may arise from time to time. And so if you feel led to give to that, I want to invite you to do so. Let's just take a moment and bow our heads and, and just spend a few moments talking to God. What's he saying to you today?